Thank you, Lord. Wow. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Worthy is the Lamb. High and lifted up. What a God. What songs this morning. Some of those you need to put on repeat this week. Just shuffle a couple of them and center your mind and your heart on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to be doing. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter number one as we continue. Just a little heads up. We've got these handful of verses this morning in chapter one, verses 14 through 18. Then next week we'll cover a section 19 through 34. You're like, that's a lot of verses. Well, it's, it's kind of one thought. So we're not in here trying to do grammar lessons. We're in here trying to stay with the thought. So where does the thought start and complete? And plus, what can I get done in the allotted time? There's that too. And then we'll finish up that chapter, uh, the third week, and then we move into John chapter 2. So we've got a lot of road to hoe ahead, but this morning the text is just, I mean, it's just so. There's some texts that are just easy to preach. This is one of those. This is one of those. Um, this week I was in Nashville for, uh, it felt like a minute, but I was there for about 24 hours. I flew out on Wednesday night and back in on Thursday night late and was with a group of pastors and the, the whole purpose of us being together was to pray together, encourage one another and to uh, think about things and challenges that each of us are facing, all of us together, but each of us are facing in ministry and what we see come down. So it was a wonderful time. What a conference, anything like that. Whole lot of prayer, whole lot of Bible and a uh, whole lot of uh, just encouragement. Wonderful time. Um, the meeting was a four-day meeting though. Now, I told you I went down Wednesday night, came back Thursday night. So we met Friday. I continued on by Zoom at home in my home office, which is a TV tray on a little seat in my bedroom, right? But they don't know that because the backdrop looks nice, right? That's all you got to do. Um, so some of you have some home office situations, yes? No? Were you Zoom? Okay, anyway. So um, that's where I was, and there was a difference. The content was still as amazing uh, it was still as prayerful, it was still as engaging, but I wasn't there, right? There's something different about being there, right? Something different. Um, long distance relationships start from a deficit, like you got to overcome something starting out. I did that because Friday night we have a wedding rehearsal with our own Owen Hickman and Lindsay Wisehart, who are connected to our church family, uh, but they weren't getting married until tonight because of the venue thing. So Friday night rehearsal, Sunday night wedding. That's why I flew back when I did. There's nothing like being there in person. And God, in his sovereign plan, had revealed himself, this unfolding revelation of himself to humanity through Moses and the law, through uh, the cloud by day and the fire by night with the Israelites, through the prophets that called the people's attention to what thus saith the Lord, and then he calls on John the Baptist to announce his arrival in the person of Jesus Christ. But then for a short season, 33 years, truth and grace and love and perfection walked on this earth. I have trod the streets of the holy city Jerusalem here on this earth, not the new holy city that is brand new and one day will come down out of heaven. 
And because of the way erosion works and new construction works, there are very few places on the Via Dolorosa or other places where you're actually touching the stones that Jesus touched. There's nothing magical about it. There's something surreal about being there. But there is a stone at the temple that they haven't disrupted and moved in any way. Right as you get up to a temple entrance, the entrance is boarded up. Do you remember that? And people were standing in line to take turns. Nobody was kissing the rock that I remember. None of our group did. I don't know. But um, nobody was kissing the rock or having any moment. But there was something different about stepping onto that because the archaeologists tell us, no, 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 this is one where he would have stepped because this would have been the entrance to the temple that would have been normal for him to use. And I just got to tell you, like, not a huge sentimentalist, but there was something special about that. Why? Because Christ was there. Christ was here. This morning, the text is John 1, 14 through 18, title of the message this morning, uh, Shocker, the Word Became Flesh. Now, of all of the great titles you can give this text that really make it feel good for you and immediately applicable and really snazzy titles, it's important that I let you know that the main thought of what I'm going to communicate is this, the Word became flesh. And there are eternal consequences as a result. You and I have to do something today because the Word became flesh. The Word was made flesh. Incredible. Incredible. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, thank you so much that you are God and that we are not. Thank you so much that you loved us so much that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ as a baby in a manger. This Sunday, of all Sundays in our nation, Lord, it's not heaven's calendar, it's not even most of the United States calendar, but the church has set this Sunday as a day of recognition, as Sanctity of Life Sunday. And in your sovereign hand, you orchestrated the texts, and here we are with the Word being made flesh. You didn't show up fully grown, dropped down out of the sky like an alien, given a message that nobody had heard. No, you came as a baby in a manger, fragile, dependent on the kindness of a mother and a father to nurture and nourish. You, as Lord and Master, but as human, were discipled by your parents and taught in the village and went to the temple. And then you grew and launched your earthly ministry. You knew no sin. You became sin for us. You took on our sin on the cross. You were crucified between two thieves, buried and rose to life on the third day. Thank you, Jesus, for becoming flesh. Thank you, Jesus, that this is true. Thank you, Jesus, for the grace that we stand here today and can handle the precious, living Word of God. Pierce us now in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Look at the text. Look at it in your Bibles. Look at it on the screen, verse 14. And the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. First point I'll give you this morning. There are four headers really right out of verse 14 that kind of capture that whole passage that we read. The first header is this, God is here. God is here. That's what John is announcing. Now, let's recognize this. John, 
the baptizer is announcing to the world that God is here and he was the forerunner and John the author of this book John the son of Zebedee is writing to us and telling us what happened and here's what happened Holy Spirit the author of this we're taking this inspired word of God God's here he showed up in a distinct way John took us back to the beginning of time when he opens the book now he's bringing us to the fact that the Word, the uncreated Son of God, is here. You see, Jesus has always existed, and he's in perfect unity with the triune God. He is God. Don't miss that. Jesus was not a created being. You say, I know that some of you are nudging your neighbor and going, duh. Well, you say, duh. Norm and I were uh, looking at the state of the Bible report that came out from Legionnaire Ministries not too long ago, and I know you saw it, Norm, you commented on a couple of the things that you saw. There were some alarming trends that people that sit on pews just like Grace Covenant Church. Now, Vass, I don't think any of you participated in the survey, but there are people that sit on pews that believe now a majority of pew sitters in churches that preach and teach from this book believe that Jesus was a created being, that he did not exist, but then came into existence when he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. I see you. I see those heads. Y'all going, what are you talking? This is crazy talk. It is crazy talk. You're right. He's always been, but the word became flesh. People have different views on this. Some people say that uh, the word, Jesus Christ, came to dwell in a man. That he didn't really exist in that way. That he did not himself become a man. He just came to dwell in a man. Here's the thing. They didn't get that from the Bible. Because the Bible says, And the word became flesh. Right, it's right there. I'm not going to jump. I don't need to go to my seminary notes to give you this, these points this morning, okay? Uh, others say that Jesus Christ just appeared like a man. That he was an apparition. He's not actually human. He just kind of looked like mankind. Uh, he, he must have been an apparition because the Bible says God is a spirit. And I don't understand how a spirit can take on a bodily form. Guess what? You don't understand how that power gets from Duke Energy to here, but you flip the light switch on. <laughs> right? So, so don't tell me because you can't fully, totally understand it and teach it at an academic level that you can't accept it. Uh, which, where's the wind come from? The east. Where did it start? Oh. But it's a blowing. The problem with that view is this. The Bible says, and the word became flesh. Still, there's a last group that uh, contends that Jesus simply chose a man, who's already in existence, and made him his son. But this ignores the Bible. You can't make stuff up and call it Bible. You got to start with, have it in the middle, and finish with the Bible. And the Bible says, in fact, I don't know how you memorize this text in your upbringing, but I, I memorized it this way. I, I kind of start at verse 1 through 5 and then pick up at 14. Maybe you're with me. Where you go, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. That's what 
the Bible says, shocker, the word became flesh. The already, always pre-existent Christ showed up. And how did he do it? Not as a fully grown man, but as a baby in a manger. As a life in a womb, conceived by the Holy Spirit, virgin born of Mary and Joseph. Come on. This is a miracle. The Messiah came into the world in the most humble of ways, human Infant, poor, vulnerable, physically dependent, the Word became flesh. He was God with us as one of us. A miracle of the greatest miracles, and yet a quiet, hushed baby's cry. It's understated. It's a normal entry for humanity into existence. It's fragile, this helpless baby. Jesus is truly Man, God was with us, robed in flesh, able to understand everything that we go through, all of the longings that we would have as humanity, all of the struggles, all of the pain. He was tempted, yet knew no sin. He was truly man, but he was also truly God. Flesh did not become the Word. The Word became flesh. Jesus was, is, and always will be truly God. I know you got it. One more thing about it. God sent us a word. There's a culture, a church culture now that says, you know, I need a word from God. I I hope to get a word from God. God sent a word to all of the whole world. And God's word to the world, his letter, his logos to the world was Jesus Christ. Now, God in his incredible grace and mercy has given us The inerrant, infallible, inspired word of Almighty God that we have here, preserved in a language that we can understand. You don't have to wonder what God is thinking. You can know. These things were written that you might know that Jesus Christ is the Son of Almighty God. God is here in the person of His Son. The Word robed Himself in flesh. Jesus Christ is God's revelation of everything He wanted to say about Himself at that time. At that moment, for those 33 years, God was with us in a distinct way. Which leads us to the second point. Glory is here. Now look at what John's saying. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. And I want you to notice, you'll just have to look in your Bible. I'll throw another verse up in a minute, but run to your Bible for just a moment. Look in the text that you have in front of you. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son. I I want you to keep that phrase together. And dwelt among us is a linchpin to the we have seen His glory. Now you may remember this when we studied an Old Testament book called Exodus. And this came up. We talked about the tabernacle that the children of God built. Do you remember this? God gave them instructions. The tabernacle was this tent that they built following God's instructions, and it was the place where God would dwell with them in this meeting place. The tabernacle was a forerunner to the temple. Say temple. Temple. Awesome. I knew, man, they're there. The tabernacle was a forerunner to the temple, and the temple was a forerunner to Christ. It was this tent that they did in the promised land 
there was a most holy place in the tabernacle and the temple where God's glory would dwell. And it was this small, the way it's described in scripture, it seems like this really bright, really small space that happens where just enough of God's glory dwells that humanity can take. But only the high priest could take it. It's this It's just this remarkable thing that they have to go through. Just like God came to meet with man in the tabernacle, he came to meet with humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. The word here that's used for dwelt among us is, watch this, tabernacled. I brought that up to you when we were in Exodus together a couple of years ago, but this is remarkable. God said, now I'm going to put my glory on the earth in another way. And he puts it on the earth in the man, Christ Jesus. Worship for the Jews had centered around the tabernacle, and then it centered around the temple, and now God was calling Jews and Gentiles to worship the King, Jesus. That's where the glory of God is. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen God's glory. If you want to see the glory of God in your life, brother or sister in Christ, You won't focus your attention on some adrenaline fix promised by some hyper church meeting. (laughs) If you want God's glory in your life, you won't focus your attention on somebody who makes a promise over you or to you or, or just says something passionately. If you want God's glory in your life, watch this, be careful here, you won't focus solely on the Holy Spirit. If you want to see God's glory, you will fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In fact, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, his job was to put our eyes on Jesus. Ashley and I have made fun of ourselves more times than you care to admit and about more topics than I will ever discuss from the pulpit of Grace Covenant Church. But Ashley and I have often remarked that the Lord has used us as connectors We've had really great friends, and we thought, oh, man, maybe some of you can experience it. You're like, I think we just met our new besties. These are our new besties. Man, he doesn't get on my nerves. I don't think I get on his. You like her. This is going to be great. We get along so well. (gasps) They need to meet so-and-so. Well, we introduce this couple to this couple. Guess what happens? They become besties, and we get ghosted. And we recognize, like, that's kind, of, that's kind of our deal. So we have friends that we're not introducing to any of y'all, just so you know. We're very protective now. If people put up with us, we don't tell anybody, right? If they're like, oh, we'd like to be friends with someone, like, eh. they're, not, they're not all that, right? But the Holy Spirit does that for Jesus. If you pursue the Holy Spirit, he grabs your hand, like at a business meeting, grabs your hand, shakes your hand, but then walks you right to Jesus. That's what he does as we read the Bible. That's what he does in our lives. That's where the glory of God is. You won't focus on anything but finding Jesus. Get into the pages of Scripture. See the glory of God in your life. Attach yourself to Jesus. Spend time with him in prayer. Spend time with him in prayer when nobody's watching and nobody's listening. Spend time with him in the Word when you don't have time to. Let him make you new so that all of your affection is on him. That's glory. God is here. Glory's here. And when Jesus showed up, grace showed up with him. Grace is here. My God. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace. When I tell people the church that I pastor, I say, Grace Covenant Church. Now other pastors will say, oh, covenant, and they do this. Because that's a loaded word, like in seminaries and stuff. Covenant's a loaded word. And they're like, covenant, are you, uh, are you, and I'm like, we're none of those things. Like, before you even get there, we're, we're, we're a covenant of grace people. That's what we are. Actually, the word we want you to focus on the most is grace. Like, that's why it's first. We didn't call ourselves covenant of grace, assembly of the firstborn of the offscouring in Charlotte. That's not our name, right? It's grace covenant church where do you go I go to great you could drop co- if you need to like if you just got to say one word you could say I go to grace like that's a home run on so many levels Jesus shows up and grace that the world had never seen showed up with him grace abundant overflowing grace drop down and look at verse 16 with me if you don't mind because it connects back to 14 for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace now when you read that in your daily reading it comes up and you go like hey grace upon grace that's pretty cool Uh, this probably came up in your Sunday school study it's from a couple of weeks ago though when you guys hit this text right it's been a few weeks since you hit John 1 um, in Sunday school there you're a little bit ahead of us but grace upon grace it's a really fantastic wordplay that happens here in the language and I won't bore you with all that but I will tell you I think a word picture that helped me When the disciples saw Jesus, what did they see? John's writing it down for us. What did they see? When they saw the Word in flesh, they saw Christ. They saw the glory of God. They saw grace. What is grace? We say it a lot. I don't want to just mistake that you know what it means. It is God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. Undeserved blessing and kindness. When I say unmerited, I know that you know this up here, right? But sometimes our hands and our feet and unfortunately our heart forgets it because we think we can earn it. We think we can work. Man, if I work a little extra hard, if I read an extra chapter, God's going to give me some extra grace. That's not what grace is. That's not how this works. You will be graced in an extra way if you read more, study more, serve more. I guarantee it. But that's not, you don't earn anything like this from God. God's unmerited favor. And he gives it to us by the only way we can access it through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. They saw Jesus, they saw glory, and they saw grace. I'll break a homiletic rule here and just jump to application for a moment. What do you see when you look at Jesus? Is he for you just a ticket out of hell? Is he for you just a a good teacher? An an idealist? A revolutionary? Boy, that's a big one today. We've got a whole subculture in church that sees Jesus as a revolutionary. We sound like the Israelites of the day saying, throw, overthrow everything. Right? Surely he's going to whip out his sword and overthrow the government. What do you see when you look at Jesus? John's calling us to see glory and grace. And this kind of amazing grace, as you meditate on Jesus and and worship Jesus, this kind of grace will absolutely transform you from the inside out. In the 17th century, 
a young boy who was born into a Christian home, uh, loved that his family took him to church. For the first six years of his life, he heard the truths of the gospel. He knew he was dearly loved, and he was discovering a lot about this Jesus that had come to save him from his sins. Sadly, though, his parents died tragically and suddenly at the same time. As an orphan, he went to live with some relatives, and they mistreated him, abused him, and ridiculed him for having any interest in Christ. He couldn't tolerate that situation, so while he was still a young boy, he went to join the Royal Navy. And in the Navy, his life went downhill. He became known as a brawler. He was whipped many times and participated in the bludgeoning of many of his comrades. Finally, while he was still young, he deserted the Royal Navy and fled to Africa, where he attached himself to a Portuguese slave trader who continued the mistreatment and the abuse in his life. It's recorded that he ate many a meal on his hands and knees off the ground. He escaped, but attached himself to another slave trader. And uh, that didn't go well either. He became first mate on a ship. At least this guy gave him some status, still worked him like a slave. The young man's pattern of life had become so desperately depraved. One night he stole all the ship's whiskey and got so drunk that he fell overboard, and he was okay for that. He was close to drowning when one of the shipmates harpooned him. Not a life preserver. Harpooned him. Wow. To save his life and brought him back on board. As a result, he was scarred. On the side for the rest of his life, he couldn't get much lower. Finally, in the midst of a great storm that looked like it was going to take the ship out off the coast of Scotland, after days and days of pumping water out of the boat just to stay afloat, the young man, while doing all this work, reflected on a truth that he had heard. And he realized there was no way he could earn, no way he could pump his way to. And he was marvelously converted by this amazing grace. The new life he found, he penned and wrote this way, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as one of the most well-known preachers of the 17th century. All because of the amazing grace of God. This was not just an act of grace. And God's grace in your life is not a one-time thing just to rescue you from hell. It is grace upon grace. What's the picture? Everywhere I look, I see grace. And it's connected to grace by grace. <laughs> it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Last Saturday... I uh, led, I told you this last Sunday actually, but I was able to lead the marriage vow renewal of a couple that's connected to this church, Brian and Liz Sanders. It was a glorious time celebrating God's faithfulness in their lives. What were the songs that were sung? Great is thy faithfulness. What did they walk out to? Something bebopping and hippin', be thou my vision. As a celebration of the only hope they have, Liz told me as we were working on the service together, she said, this is not about us. She said, I want you to preach Jesus. That's why I told you my text was Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I mean, come on, who does that at a vow renewal? I do. But such grace, when I think about Brian and Liz, there's such grace. 
This week I was around those men of God who have been through the waters too, nearly at the point of stepping away from ministry several years ago, but God rescued them at that low point. Such grace, such grace. This afternoon, I will uh, officiate and preach the gospel at a wedding for Owen and Lindsay, and they will exchange rings like many of us have done in here with our spouses. And I'll say a little bit about the ring, you know, the unbroken circle, and it represents this covenant they have that their love would be unbroken. We're human and frail, though, right? And things, things happen. But God is not a man that he should lie. And that ring, that unbroken ring, that's a picture of amazing grace. That's grace upon grace, connected by grace. Everywhere you look, when you look at Jesus, you see grace upon grace. If you study this picture, that's, that's what it is. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you're sick or in good health, God's grace is active in and through Jesus. God sent his son to be the savior of the world. Child of God, here this morning, hear me. If you are in pain this morning, if you are suffering this morning, if you are, are waiting on something to happen, if you are heartbroken and it seems like a broken record, it keeps on breaking, I, I want to encourage you with something that may not sound like encouragement when I say it at first, but you may not recover from that in this life. That's not the promise that we have from God. But you will be perfected in glory. And, and when you get there, your perspective will shift. And you will say, all of that, such grace. You may not see that prayer that you've been praying for years and years answered here. But when you get to heaven, and when you see what God sees, and you know and are fully known as the Bible says we will be, it's not only possible, but it's a reality, I believe, that you will see that God has been at work through the really high highs, but more times than not, through the really low lows. And he's been working in your life to impact your family and your friends and your neighbors and the nations, not for your wholeness, but for his glory and for the advance of the name of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and once in heaven, looking back over the annals of time, you'll say, hey, it's worth it. He's worth it. Look at Jesus. All of that, this light and momentary affliction has worked a far more and exceeding eternal weight of his glory. Why is any of this possible? Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Such grace. If all we do is look in the mirror and all we do is navel gaze, thinking about our own problems and our own situation in life, we will of all men be most miserable, but we have a hope. We have an anchor beyond the veil of this life that Jesus Christ is worth it. I dare say most of us in here haven't lived a depraved life like John Owen, but every one of us in here are rebels and sinners without hope if we don't have a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need God's grace. When John saw the Word becoming flesh, he saw the glory of God, he saw the grace of God, and finally this morning, it's a quick point, the last one, he saw truth. He saw truth with flesh on, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, and, or rather we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and 
truth. Verse 17 completes the thought. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is full of grace. And Jesus Christ is full of truth. These first 18 verses of John's gospel take us all the way back to Genesis 1. Remember, we talked about that. In the beginning, he, he promised uh, through Moses, remember, a Messiah would come. That Moses was a, a type of leader pointing to Christ. Moses gave us an incredible account. He is the promised Messiah that was spoken of by Moses and the prophets. He is the greater one that John the Baptist said, a greater than me is coming after me. He is so much more than a man and a rabbi and a good teacher. He is the perfect revelation of God himself. And I'm going to tell you something, church family. This is absolute, unequivocal, incontestable truth. God didn't take a vote. He doesn't need your opinion on it. He's not taking a poll or a survey. It is absolutely true. Why? Because he said it. <laughs> this is real truth. Jesus Christ is God. He is all that he promised to be and more. He is all that he said he was. John will tell us, and we'll find out later in John 6, that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living bread that comes down from heaven. And he is. That's the truth. He's the only thing that satisfies he says, I'm the light of the world in John chapter number eight. And he is, and that's the truth. He's the only way to see clearly in this dark and depraved world. He says he's the door to the sheep. That means he's the only way to get into the church. You can't beg, borrow, or steal your way in. There's one door into God's church, and it's through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is that, and that's the truth because he said it. He said, I'm the good shepherd. No pastor's the good shepherd. No elder is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. We're the under shepherds. Why is it set up that way? Because that's the way he said it. And that's the truth. He said he's the resurrection and the life. Because he said it. It's true. He is. John 11, John 14. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father. That is absolute truth. He is the true vine. He's the true vine. You may have an offshoot of something that looks Christian here and an offshoot of something that looks Christian here, but if it's not anchored in Jesus, it's not his. He's the true vine, the only vine. Why is it that way? Because that's the absolute truth. It's all true. Young person, hear me. It's all true. Every bit of it from cover to cover. It's all true. But some of us live like none of it is. Like all we've got to do is check a box or show up or do this or do that or earn this or earn that and I'm good. All I need of Jesus is this. No, no, no. All you need of Jesus is all of Jesus. And you can't get it doing your own thing, your own way. Jesus Christ is God's grace. He's God's glory. He's God's truth in human, in human form. This is a huge part of the good news of the gospel. This is the truth the world needs to hear. Who is Jesus? We know. He told us, and he told us to tell people about him. This is the grace the world needs to hear about, that grace comes from Jesus Christ himself, this perfect, sinless man, full of grace and truth, the very glory of God in flesh. He was tried, convicted, and sentenced to die for being God's only son. And in God's incredible plan of redemption for humanity, that death that Jesus Christ died on that cross, that death that he died on that Roman cross, that death was sufficient to pay the penalty for your sins and for mine. His death 
was not the first death that had happened on a Roman cross. His death was not the first death that had happened in an unjust manner, but his death was the only death that satisfied the wrath of God. His blood was not the first blood that was ever shed upon a Roman cross, but his precious blood is the only blood that was ever shed that will rescue us from the flames of eternal hell. His tomb was not the first tomb somebody needed after they had been crucified on a cross, but his tomb is the only tomb that was borrowed for three days because on the third day, God said it was enough and he lives forevermore. This is our God. The Word became flesh and we have life and we have grace and we get to touch glory and truth because of who Jesus is. Let the church say amen. God is a good God. To give us His Word, death couldn't stop grace. A lie can't bury the truth and the grave couldn't hold glory. He's truth you can count on this morning. He's grace you can live on every day of your life. And he is God's revelation of himself with flesh on. That's how much God loves you. That the word would come down from heaven and robe himself in flesh. As Julia comes this morning and we prepare our hearts to respond to this truth. How do you respond to that? Because all this is stuff you know. Fun to say amen to. I mean, some of you, I know that we're at Grace Covenant on Wood Pews. Some of you, I felt like we're right on the cusp of saying that'll preach. Like a couple times. That's good. That'll work. What do you do with this? What will you do with this Jesus, the Word becoming flesh? If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you are living like Jesus is a liar. You're living like none of it's true. So you need to man up or woman up. I I mean, I don't know that I would keep coming to church Sunday after Sunday or or subject myself to preaching like this under the authority of God's Word and and deal with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If I I don't believe any of this, if I reject all of this as a lie, I I mean, what, what are you doing? The fact that you're here, I think the Lord's drawing you to Himself, not to a man or a movement, but to Christ alone. What do you do? How do I get in? Are you going to have an invitation where I can come forward and pray? Nope. I'm going to tell you what Jesus told everybody that needed to to change their life. Repent and trust Jesus. You can do it from your pew. You can do it in your car. You can come forward and pray if you want to. I'll pray with you. You need me. I'll help you. I've got men and women ready to pray with you. But I'm going to tell you what they're going to tell you. Repent and trust Jesus. Believer, you know this. It's John 1. We haven't gotten any big miracles yet. Well, I mean, what, do, what do I do with this as a young Christian, teenage Christian, as a, as a seasoned saint of God in the church? What do I do with this? How are you living? Are, are you living like this is true? Are you loving others like this is true? Are you talking about Jesus like this is true? Like he's the only grace and truth that matters? Are you sharing Christ? How are you spending your money? How are you thinking about the days that we live in? I hope that each of us will come alive to the truth of God revealed in Scripture. That we'll recognize that even in the hardest times that we can't understand, that's grace upon grace, connected by grace. God's at work in your life. Be encouraged this morning. I want you to start looking for ways to more fully immerse yourself in communion with Jesus Christ. 
our resurrected and soon returning King. Let's pray. Lord, I bless you this morning, not only for your pardon of those sins that I've committed, but also for your goodness in preserving me from those many thousands of other sin I was prone to fall into. My sin was so great, but your grace was greater. I was so deep into a lie from the enemy, but you rescued me with truth. I was chasing my own glory, but yours is the power and the glory in the kingdom. Your overflowing goodness overwhelms me today, God. I repent for when I'm distracted and it doesn't. Thank you for abundant, never stopping, always chasing after me kind of grace. Thank you for rock solid truth. Thank you for sending Jesus. And if I had all the hearts of all the men and women and all the voices of all the angels that are in heaven now, I might start, just begin to scratch the surface to say thank you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for truth. Thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen.